Hello and welcome everybody once again to yet another episode of the 49ers Future Podcast. This is the first episode where we're going to be talking playoffs, but before we get to that, of course I'm your host, Y2 Amanaki, one of the moderators over at the Football's Future Forum, specifically the 49ers board. With me as always is my co-host and co-moderator, good friend, Forge. Forge, welcome back. Uh, It's playoff time. Thank you, sir. Yes, I'm super excited, super nervous a little bit, you know. I, uh, I said it earlier, I'm, I'm kind of on house money, but it doesn't take away all the nerves, right? It's still a little right. bit nerve wracking. So uh, ready to get this going. It, it's Saturday seems like so far away, you know? Oh, it does. But those those end zones are getting painted red. It's time to time to talk playoff football. But before we get to that, uh, we do have a game that we haven't gotten to review yet, given that uh, we beat the Seahawks a couple weeks ago. But with the holidays and everything, this last week didn't work out for us again which is fine, but let's talk about that game now. So with the win, the 49ers were able to clinch the number one seed, which we talked about how badly that was needed. Um, And it basically came down literally to the very, very last inch when Dre Greenlaw stopped um, the the tight end Hollister there right at the end. What a play. What a game. What, what did you, what did you think? I mean, I, I think Hollister went into the wrong person because if there's one person on this team that you you don't need to like push off on a tackle, it's actually probably Greenlaw. He's statistically our best tackler all year. He's only missed two tackles. And I just want to say how impressive that particular tackle is because if you watch the replay, Hollister has all the momentum carrying him towards the end zone and Greenlaw's basically flat-footed he is standing in place and he is just able to hold Hollister up and not let him get I mean what is quite literally six inches and it was an amazing play by Dre Greenlaw if he if he doesn't do anything else in his career he may have made his draft pick spot worth it right like oh yeah round pick that one play makes makes that pick worth it regardless of what he does the rest of his career Absolutely. And I mean, the fact that he's actually a pretty solid starter uh, at the same spot on top of it, uh, we're, we're, we're definitely playing with house money there too. Um, that was a hell of a play. I, I was, I was pretty confident at the end there that that was, you know, I'm sure just as every other 49ers fan, that that was just going to be yet another example of Russell Wilson last last drive, last uh, whatever he needs, and he's going to get it, score, and, and win the game and, and break our hearts out there in Seattle. But this one, uh, for the first time, he he didn't. And it's great because now we have the one, number one seed. We were able to rest up last week. We'll talk about the benefits of that in a little bit. Um, but before that, let's talk more about the, the game. Um, you know, I'd love to start with the quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo was near perfect. Uh, only four incompletions the whole game. Didn't throw a touchdown, but more importantly, didn't have any of his usual uh, turnovers or anything like that was near perfect. Uh, What did you see from him? Just exactly what you said. I mean, he was near flawless. He, I I think I I saw him miss on like one pass, maybe like the third or fourth drive where his placement was just a a little bit off, but that was it. Like that was, and, and I'm not saying that is like a knock on him. I'm saying the man threw 22 passes and he might have been off target on one of them for, I mean, in, all seriousness uh he came to play and you know it's games like those like i know that a lot of 
neutral observers, you know, third parties, they look at this team and they're like, well, Jimmy Garoppolo has to, has to prove it in the playoffs. And I understand that sentiment, but nobody's going to tell me that that atmosphere against Seattle was not a playoff atmosphere. That right. that is somehow vastly different than what he's going to get this week uh, against Minnesota at home. Nobody's going to do that because it's a primetime game, number one seat on the line, on the road, in one of the hardest places in the NFL to play. And at, he was amazing. He was amazing, so much so that he actually made me angry at, at Kyle Shanahan for, for quite a bit during that game, um, right around the, uh, the halftime mark. <laughs> so uh, for those who uh, know what I'm talking about, but uh, yeah, he was phenomenal and it just makes you feel so good given the way he's played the, the last half of the season and then into a game like, you know, this um, at, at what he can do in the playoffs. Like I don't have any real concerns about him as a player heading into these playoffs. I don't either. I mean, I've, I, you know, I've been on the bandwagon as long as anyone um, I've, been so pleased with with his second half of the season because this is the quarterback that I thought we had um hopefully it was just the, the ACL at the beginning of the year and not just struggles for another reason but either way uh those seem to be past him and and he had just an excellent game um and you're right I mean even the incompletions it only felt like uh, you know really one or two of those throws were were bad and uh, I mean otherwise he did exactly what he needed to do um, and it just so happened that your boy Raheem Mostert was the one who scored the touchdowns. You know, I can't hate on that. That was, <laughs> it's not Garoppolo's fault. Uh, that is, that his running back's going to help him out. I, um, I, I actually know the reason for that. I found, I found this out today when I was just scouring the web. I think it's, it, it's Shanahan has said that his favorite touchdown celebration is Mostert surfing thing. So I feel like that's why he is, <laughs> is getting the touchdowns in, the, in that situation. Shanahan just wanted to see him surf. That's all. Okay. I'll buy it. I'll, I'll buy that as a legitimate reason. I'll take Mostert surfing all the time uh, whenever he wants. I also love his uh, hand the ball to the lineman, let the lineman spike it. Um, you know, that's nice. Treat yeah, give the big guys some love, man. They, they earn it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think so far he's given it to, to Tomlinson, Staley, and McGlinchey. So this upcoming game, we're going to have to give it to Person and, and Garland or, um, you know, maybe if we're uh, unlucky or lucky, depending on how you look at it, if Brunskill's in there, maybe he can do it too. Or just all three. You know, we'll score three touchdowns and put them all up. Uh, but before we get it, I want to talk more about Mostert. Um, and actually, let's just segue right into that. Uh, he had the two big touchdowns in the game, um, had another good day running the ball, had a 5.7 yard per carry um, with the 10 carries, 57 yards. But most importantly, you know, for the last half of the season, he was definitely our top back. He looked at and in a big game, um, you know, he didn't get a ton of carries, didn't get a ton of touches. He only had uh, the one reception um, in the game, but you know, he made, he made the most out of them and, and we, we did just enough on offense uh, to win. So uh, what did you like about uh, your boy? I, he just, it, it's amazing. Like, and I, I've said this before, but it, it, it's kind of mind boggling that the, the sample size continues to grow, but the, the yards per carry doesn't seem to go down. Uh, so for those who are unaware, I believe he actually led NFL running backs in yards per carry. Uh, the only yeah. one who was above him, I believe, was Lamar Jackson. Uh, yep. Despite some people's uh, <laughs> assertions, is not a running back. He is a quarterback. So uh, he just rips off these plays. And obviously, I've, I've I've been on this train for a while, and I've 
you know, exalted his virtues before. I do really like, I, I did like the split on how we ran the ball. So we ran the ball 24 times, right? So mm-hmm. basically it was almost a dead even 50-50 split. I think, I, I want to say we actually ran the ball 23 um, and then Jimmy dropped back to pass 23 times. Or it, it could have been 24. I know one of Jimmy's rushes was a sneak though. I, I can't remember on the other one, but basically the breakdown was kind of nice, right? So Mostert got 10 out of the 24 carries, which is pretty good because we don't just utilize our running backs. Uh, Breida and Coleman basically split uh, nine reps. And then we got a couple to Debo and one to, to Kittle. So I actually really, really like that kind of setup where you essentially just have like six guys running the football, keeps them all fresh, keeps them, you know, uh, being able to hit those lines and explode out really, really nicely. Uh, and then obviously the, you know, like the Debo plays, they keep the, the, the defense kind of off balance because we use so much motion pre-snap that it's, you, you really have to account for, for wherever, especially if it's like Debo, you have to account for where they're going, things like that. So uh, you know, both of his touch were both of his touchdowns from like 13 yards out. Um, I don't remember the exact yardage uh, number, but they were they were both a good distance out. Okay, no, sorry. One one of them was 13. One of them was two. So, uh, but that works. Oh, um, I thought, I yeah, thought it was yeah, I, I felt like both <laughs> of them were, were far out. But uh, so the 13 yard carry is just sort of like you know that happens sometimes. Like the the, the things that I really like is I like to see the two yards touchdowns the one yard rushes i want to see us be successful in short yardage running the football and that isn't always the case obviously we've had some red zone issues uh you know throughout the year throughout shanahan's tenure here so uh, i i do want to see us be effective in that regard i think on the short yardage one that might have taken him two tries i think the first one maybe he got stopped and then he got the second one uh it's been it's been a while since the game so now i'm trying to think of of how everything played out but I just want them, you know, there, there are certain things I'm looking for now because I think that the running game itself is, is just pretty effective, right? Like, I mean, they do what they do. We, we stick with it and sometimes it's not always the most efficient. And sometimes we have a really nice, you know, a really, a really efficient day. So, uh, but I want to see them be able to, to pick up short yardage, keep chains moving or score touchdowns. And uh, like I said, I, I've been on that bandwagon for a while. I think he's a guy that can do that. So. Uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I love the splits that they had in that game. Um, you know, just the, the way the, the touches were divvied up between the offense. Um, I love the, the carries that Debo's getting, and we're going to talk about him again in one second. Um, but just the, you know, the way that we're, we're splitting him between the, the backs, um, even on a you know, limited number of carries. I mean, there were only 19 carries by running backs uh, by our team in the game uh, against Seattle, but even so, um, you know, each of the, each of the three did get, you know, get, the, get their opportunities. Uh, Tevin Coleman, as much as we've, you know, kind of been disappointed by him all year, he's, he's had some good runs uh, late in the season, even though uh, he's lost his, his starting job to Mostert deservedly so, but uh, we'll see how that continues into the playoffs. Let, let me ask you a question. I asked this yeah. hypothetical on the forum and I, I'm really just curious what, what you think. So if this team we're not willing to cut both Coleman and jet who would you rather keep? They actually Coleman actually saves a little bit more money, but they're pretty comparable, but who would you rather keep? Because Coleman is kind of, is what he is, right? He's not been super impressive. He's had some nice moments, 
but he's clearly the third most effective running back on our roster. And he hasn't really impacted the passing game as much as I would have liked. And then you have McKinnon who obviously, you know, the health is, is a major, major issue at this point, but who would you rather keep if the team were keeping one? That's it's tough because we don't know what McKinnon can do in this offense. I mean, I was super excited when we, when we signed him, I I thought it was a, a great pickup and it's, it's been two, you know, well, one horrible injury that's just kept him out for, for two full seasons. One thing I read, um, I want to say it was on The Athletic, um, but it could have been, you know, another random article that I picked up off of Twitter. Uh, but I read that, you know, one of the possibilities that they're going to be looking into is is restructuring it to the point where he has like a one-year kind of prove-it deal. Um, so that way they save all the, the cap space and still get to keep him. Um, that be, Him being McKinnon, I should have mentioned that. Um, I would I wouldn't be opposed to that, you know. Have, go into the uh, preseason with him on his you know one year deal. Coleman will be on the final year of his deal, um, and then of course you know we we're assuming we're going to bring back Brita. Mostert's already signed as well, um, so you know let them play it out in the preseason. Go from that. I it, it's so hard to say because we really haven't seen him, um, and I mean we've seen Coleman, and while Coleman hasn't been terrific, I mean he's reliable in the sense that he'll play yeah i i had a a little bit that's why it's one of the reasons i thought that it was sort of an interesting question because we hadn't one guy we haven't seen at all you know and and he's just been hurt and then the other guy we've seen and we kind of know what we have and it's sort of eh you know like it's 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 okay i guess uh obviously I've, i've i've sort of you know, planted my flag on the idea of like, hey, I don't need either of these guys and I'll take Wilson, Mostert, and Brita. But in this situation, if if Coleman had been more impactful in the receiving game, I might be more likely to say him, but he hasn't been. And in fact, he's had some weird like situations in the passing game where, you know, like there was the Rams game and there's just been a couple times where he sort of gets lost in especially coming out of the backfield, he just sort of gets lost in, in his, in his pass routes. And, you know, if jet is healthy enough to play, he's not going to forget how, I mean, he's just a natural pass catcher. Like that's the one thing he does extremely well, right? He knows how to catch. He can run these routes. And so I feel like because at, at his best, he can give us something that none of the other running backs can give us, which is that true, natural threat out of the backfield i think i'm more likely to say jet even with the health concerns but i thought it was an interesting question because they do actually save us about the same amount of money although i kind of like the idea of the uh of the restructuring too i think that's a good idea you're gonna have the dead money no matter what and then if you restructure that you know instead of him eating up eight nine million you know, you only have the dead money plus, say, a million plus incentives. I actually really like that de- idea, and that actually would in- would actually entice me to keep him for next season. So yeah, uh, agreed. And it's it's certainly going to be certainly going to be interesting choice. Um, but that said, I do want to talk a little bit about Debo Samuel uh, a little bit more because we talked about him uh, getting the carry, but he had the, that huge touchdown run. In the game, he has just been a weapon in in every way. He went over 100 yards in the final game against the Seahawks, um, having one of the best, uh, you know, receiving games I've, we've seen against that Seattle team in in a very long time. Uh, he had such an excellent year. Um, had, had the second most receiving yards ever for a rookie, 
uh, for the 49ers uh, behind Jerry Rice, of course. Um, what, a, what a year. Uh, him, he had a great game. And then in that game, uh, George Kittle also had a had another big game with seven receptions, 86 yards. And he just did what George Kittle does. Uh, what did you like out of those two? I like the fact that Debo is making it a habit of having big games against Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great habit to start. (laughs) Exactly. Like if there's a team that you're going to pick to just rip apart every time you play them, I'm okay with that being Seattle. So I I appreciate Debo's uh, effort, but uh, yeah, he looks phenomenal, man, man. I'll, I'll tell you what. And it's so funny is because, you know, Manny has, has been good, right? But the key, I feel like the key thing that Manny has done hasn't even been producing. I feel like it's been just taking pressure off Debo and making sure that he has the opportunity to sort of, you know, kind of spread his wings and and do his thing uh, so well. Because, you know, Manny didn't have a big game. He had three catches, you know, a couple dozen yards. And he's had several games like that. But I, I think just having those two complementary pieces, and it doesn't have to be Manny, it can be anybody who's who's a competent wide receiver, uh, really lets Debo shine in that regard. I don't know that Debo's ready for, not this year, I don't know that he's ready for like a, a, a number one role, right? Right. But he's definitely like a 2A at this point because it took him a while to get going. It was a sort of a slow ascent uh but you know if you just look at his his season and the way the way it has gone i mean you can clearly see like at the start of this year you know he had he ended up with 800 yards but outside of week two against cincinnati like his 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 receiving games were 17 3 18 19 so four out of the first what is it six weeks or what have you he was under 20 yards, you know, and he's just, you know, and since then, I mean, he's definitely, he's had a couple of down games, but he's just become such a, a a more reliable player and he's totally earned that, that wide receiver two spot. Sorry. Uh, And he's phenomenal when, when, when he's playing and he's getting us going. I mean, he's really only had, in my opinion, since we've moved him into the lineup opposite Manny, one bad game and that was Atlanta and everybody just kind of had a bad game, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So he's got some drop issues. Let's, you know, we can all be upfront about that, but man, he gets open after the catch. He's a terror, like very, very excited about him moving forward. And I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to force him into a number one role before I think he's ready. So I do want to bring back Manny or have somebody comparable like that opposite him next year. I want to let him kind of grow into that, that role a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, he's got that ability, like every, especially with the way you utilize him all the time. He's, he's, you know, running the football. Cause when you add in the rushing yards, he almost topped a thousand yards from scrimmage. He was just yeah. 40 yards shy. So, uh, gosh, what a, what a great season for him. I'm, I'm super excited about him. What do, what do you think? Oh, I'm super excited too. Uh, you know, he was my number three receiver coming out of the draft. The number one didn't do so well, Nikhil Harry, uh, but AJ Brown uh, behind him did really well, and then Debo number three. Um, so I was very thrilled when we picked him up. But uh, the parts of his game that I didn't expect, uh, like what he's added to the run game, 
uh, which is a little odd for for a receiver, you know, when you think of him first and foremost. But what he's brought, just that that little edit, extra gadget, is, I mean, it's pure Shanahan. It it was the perfect perfect wide receiver for this team. Uh, five straight games with a carry. I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked up if the, if any other receivers have have done that recently, um, but for him, five straight games uh, that they've they've put the ball in his hands and you know tried to see what he can do. But yeah, he's you're right. He's had a terrific game. Uh, he had three seat or terrific season, I should say. Um, had three different games where he went over 100 yards receiving alone. Uh, not not even talking about just the the yardage he added to, on the run game. Um, touchdowns, both running and receiving the ball. He's he's a heck of a weapon, um, and it was it was great to see him. You're right. It's great to see him do that against Seattle, uh, most importantly. Yeah, I mean, for the season, so just so people know, he had he had 13 catches, 214 yards against Seattle, plus, you know, his two carries, 33 yards and a touchdown. So really big games against Seattle. The one thing, uh, and, and maybe, I don't know, it, it feels like the difference is, is that we are trusting him in routes that are more – NFL wide receiver routes. I felt like early on in the season, we kept things really short. Like we were just trying to force our way into his run after the catch ability. Right. And so like, I thought, I, you know, maybe saw some more bubble screens, but like everything was with right there. I like that we're trusting him more on slants and, and mesh routes and, and downfield, you know, obviously the, the game against Baltimore, we took the shot downfield with him and he scored the touchdown. So I, I like that we are allowing him to prove himself with more NFL level concepts and not just like, Hey, we're just going to put the ball in your hand as simply as possible and then see if you can make something happen. Like trust him to be an NFL wide receiver. And I, I think it took a little bit of time for us to do that. And, I, and, you know, we were kind of bullish on Dante Pettis earlier in the season uh, so I know that you know, he got off on a rocky start, but I, I, I kind of feel like Shanahan wasn't really sure maybe what to do and where to go with the receivers early on. And now a very clear established hierarchy is in place with this group. So, and I think that is to the benefit of all. Agreed. So I'd like to, to move past the Seahawks game because it's, it's now firmly in the past over a week old and, I'd love to start talking about the playoffs because it's the first time we have been there uh, since 2013, which of course ended with a an NFC Championship game loss to the Seahawks. Hopefully, we don't get a repeat of that this year. Um, but that said, let's let's have the the big discussion for the playoffs. Um, you know, I already made my prediction a, a few episodes ago uh, that the, I thought the team was going to go all the way, wasn't going to lose again. Not technically right because they did lose to the Falcons, but so far, uh, you know, number one seed home throughout the playoffs. Uh, the Saints are gone. That's kind of cool. Uh, I, I like the chances. How about you? How how far do you think this team can go? Hey, they can they can absolutely win it all. They, they wouldn't be my favorite to win it all. I think my favorite is actually Kansas City, even though they have Andy Reid. And I know that's not a super popular take with Baltimore out there, but I, I think people are sleeping on how good the Kansas City defense is uh, in the AFC side. So they would be my favorite. I think us in Baltimore would probably be my second favorite in terms of, of, of winning it all. I think our toughest matchup might be this up, this upcoming one in terms of the NFC. And I don't mean to knock either Seattle or Green Bay in that regard. With Green Bay, it's hard to get past the optics of what happened the first time we played them, right? Like, yeah. 
I, we all know that it's not going to be a blowout if we play them again like that. But the optics of that, that the way that game played out are so hard to get out of your head that it makes you feel really good about playing them. Seattle well, under, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, not only that, but I mean, just how they've played all year, it really makes me feel comfortable playing them. I mean, the only two games I was really ever, and I wasn't even that impressed with them, but they were the Vikings wins. Um, you know, otherwise they had some, some really rough looks uh, against some teams that they shouldn't have, but go ahead. They did. It, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, on the Vikings game, that's, you know, that's like Seattle for us, right? Like those games are always a little bit weird no matter what. So it's really hard to take something from those when you're a, a third party observer, you know, I, because they know each other so well, they play each other all the time. If, you know, it, it's, it's just a divisional game and weird things happen. So, so I don't even know how much you can, you can take from that with the Packers, you know, they, outside of the Vikings, they had one real shot to play a team in that tier, I think. Uh, and that was us. And that did not go well. You know, meanwhile, you look at our, our season, you know, and we lose to the, you know, Baltimore on a last minute field goal, last second field goal. We lose to Seattle on a last second field goal. We beat Seattle. We beat New Orleans. We crush Green Bay. Like, yeah, this is a good team. So we absolutely can win it all. We could also lose this week. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's the playoffs. Uh, the Vikings, I, I do think, might be the toughest opponent that we have in the NFC playoffs. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. But uh, yeah, I, I I would not be shocked at all if we if we win it all. We definitely have the talent, especially with everybody getting healthy. Agreed. I think the I mean, obviously, the Saints being eliminated is is a huge boost for us um, because it's. You know, it, it really paves the way a little bit. Um, the Vikings, I definitely agree, are going to be tough. I wasn't necessarily looking forward to that matchup. I was I was definitely hoping for the Eagles, which wouldn't have been the case anyway. We would have been playing in Seattle if uh, Minnesota managed to lose. Or um, Seattle would have been playing us, uh, at us, rather. Um, I, I still like our chances to win it all. I, I think, uh, you know, the way it's going to line up, I'm, I'm expecting to face Seattle a third time. I think that's the season's just kind of gearing up for that moment. I, I really think we could beat Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I know they just played really well and they just traveled in the Superdome, which is incredibly hard. We know that. We saw, you know, that game uh, earlier in the year with the, between the Niners and the Saints. But I still think that the team can handle their business at home. I think, uh, you know, Shanahan's going to have that team ready. Plus, we have the big boost uh, from the three returning players, uh, the 300 ones, Quan Ford and tart and we'll talk more about them in a little bit um so i think they can go all the way you know I, I i'd expect us to be able to beat seattle again given that we went just went there and beat them and now we're going to be a little bit healthier and a little bit fresher and uh you're going to get to get get to face them again and then on the afc side i i mean i'm with you i think the chiefs have a really good chance i i might even think they're uh, the favorite against the ravens um slightly but either way i think we can beat either of those teams i don't think any of it will be easy uh, you know, I, I wouldn't expect an easy game against the Vikings, Seahawks, or either the Chiefs or uh, Ravens, but I, I just think this team is built very, very well. Um, the offense has done an incredible job in the second half of the year. Garoppolo has been, um, you know, a lot more tight uh, with his throws. He hasn't quite thrown so many uh, of his YOLO passes. Uh, so I, I like the I like the team to do, to do it in all the way. Let me let me ask you a question because the, the the scenario is different for you and I. So when we both 
um, yeah, previewed the season. I thought we were going to be closer to like the periphery of the playoffs. Like we could get there might, re- you know, might require a little bit more good luck than bad luck, or we could be out. You were pretty gung ho on this team from the start. You were, you were pretty bullish. If we lose Saturday, are you disappointed? Because for me, it's an easier, it's an easier conversation, but you've been bigger on, you've been, you know, more bullish on this team since the start of the season than I have. So I felt like it was more interesting for you. Well, yeah, I'll be disappointed. I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed after ter- after any loss, uh, essentially, and in a playoffs. Um, you know, I I would be disappointed. Am I disappointed? Well, like, let me, let me, I mean, how, I, I think I know how you're going to rephrase the question. Yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed in how the season went. Correct. Uh, no, uh, not at all. I mean, it, it, it'd be it'd be slightly disappointing to lose as the number one seed after having gotten that. I mean, my prediction was 11 and five entering as a wild card team, winning a game in the first round. And then, um, you know, maybe even a second, but it wouldn't go further than that. Um, so now my expectations have changed a little bit, but I have been bullish on this team. Um, I said at the beginning of 2018, I predicted 11 and five last year, just because I think Shanahan and Garoppolo uh, combined you know, I think so much of each of them that I, I I think there's no reason that the team should ever have less than 10 wins. They'll just be one of those teams that just wins routinely, um, you know, because they have the great firepower. But then the defense is, uh, you know, way better than any of us thought. I had made the comparisons to 2011, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I, I didn't go with a 13-3 and record prediction like I, I thought I should have, uh, given that I made that 2011 connection. But, yeah, I'm I'm happy with the team. I'm happy we got back to the playoffs. Uh, you know, I wouldn't think this is the peak. So if we lose, um, the disappointment in the season will be in the disappointment that we lost without winning a playoff game as the number one seed. Um, but I'd, I'd still have high hopes that the team can get even better uh, moving forward and hopefully, you know, with less less catastrophic injuries along the way. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I obviously, with, with slightly lower expectations starting the season, uh, this season's an absolute 100% success. What this season did, though, for me is make me realize that our Super Bowl window is now. Like before, you know, being on the periphery of the playoff race doesn't necessarily mean that your your Super Bowl window is open. It kind of means like, you know, you're, you're, at the, you're at the doorway, but you haven't walked through yet. We've walked through the door. So for me, I'm not going to do anything if I can help it to compromise that window, because those windows close so fast in the NFL. And so I'm kind of in all in mode right now, you know, like I'm going to do whatever it takes. Like Manny Sanders is a free agent. I love what Manny has done for, for this team on offense, even if he's not putting up prodigious offensive numbers, I am not now going to trust the rest of the receivers, just because I do think they have talent or that we've, you know, invested money in them um, or picks or what have you, I'm not going to now entrust this receiving core to them and just say like, I'm sure somebody will step up. They had their opportunity. Now we're a Super Bowl contender and now they're going to have to earn their playing time with Manny or somebody comparable at the top, if you know what I mean. So like, that's the main like difference in my mentality now. Not that I'm disappointed. It's just now it's just a changeover in how I would build and work with this team moving forward. Agreed. And I, I agree on, on re-signing uh, Manny Sanders. Um, you know, that's a conversation we had on the forum uh, right around the time before that. Um, you know, we had the conversation on this podcast and then we, there was some 
threads that were open about whether or not we should make a trade for the wide receiver. And, you know, at that point, we both of us thought, yeah, let's do it. Um, a, a few people didn't, and they, you know, wanted to see those younger guys step up, but they never did. Uh, you know, Debo did, of course, uh, this year, but it was after that point, once he had a, a veteran to learn from, um, the other guys, you know, kind of fell aside. Kendrick Bourne did really well as well. I don't want to, you know, leave him onto that, but it, it was the time to go in. It was the time to improve the team because that was the one thing that was missing. And since that trade, uh, you know, the whole offense has changed. I mean, like literally in that first game, uh, in the Panthers game, I mean, it was a lot more about the run. Um, but Sanders, you know, started making big plays uh, right away, started converting some important third downs on that game early on. So it was just an incredible trade. And we, we do need to bring him back because I'm, I'm not trusting Dante Pettis or, or any of the, the receivers on this team other than Debo to be in a starting role. Now, I'd, if we're going to draft somebody, cool. I'm okay with that. You know, if we're going to use our number one pick on that, um, if we're going to pick up somebody else other than Sanders, if, you know, maybe Sanders is too expensive and we can get somebody uh, comparable, then I'm, I'm okay with that too. But uh, my number one wish is uh, for the receiving core is to bring back uh, Manny Sanders first. Um, second would be to draft someone because I think there's going to be some some great guys uh, right around where we pick Debo uh, this year in, in next year's draft. Absolutely. 100% agree. I'm, I'm, I'm all in just, you know, like I said, I, I'm not entrusting the, the, the offense and I'm not just putting my faith that the young guys are going to pan out. I, I think it's just easier and better to, to know what you have and then let the other guys step up as, as they're going along, they can step up and still play a wide receiver three role. You know, it, it it's, it, yeah. they can do that. So I, I I'm fine with that. It's uh, yeah, that's, that's the way I lean. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, but speaking of people who have been quiet and, you know, need to step up, uh, who do you think that, that applies to when it comes to the playoffs? So, you know, we have a lot of guys who, who are going to be seeing some some time in the playoffs that we might not necessarily want, uh, some places where some depth might not be some, so great thanks to injuries. Um, we also have some guys who, you know, haven't done anything all season, and I'm, we're going to talk about Dante Pettis because uh, he's, you know, someone you just mentioned in the, the last topic. Um, who who is it that you think needs to step up the most? I, for me, it's just the it's just the general pass rush. It's it's they have to get home, and I don't know what's going on with that. Obviously, D Ford missing is is a big issue, but you know I think we hit Russell Wilson nine times, yet we only managed a single sack. So that's either that's telling me that either they they're losing time somewhere in their pass rush, you know they're just barely missing it, or coverage is breaking down too fast. I actually don't think coverage is breaking down too fast because Sherm has been pretty much locked down on his side of the field. So I feel like they're just losing a little bit of time somewhere. We have to get home. We can't, we can't continue this with the pass rush. This will kill us in the playoffs. If that is the case, we saw it in, you know, in 2012, we made it to the Super Bowl, but the defense didn't, you know, was not a pretty thing. It was not a pretty sight throughout the playoffs, you know, after we had the injuries and that's kind of where this is going. So it's on the entire pass rush to me uh, in regards to just stepping up and getting home, create the pressures, get the sacks. You've got to make those big plays. And, you know, because Kirk Cousins, even though he will occasionally, you know, fumble the football, um, he hasn't had, he hasn't lost many fumbles this year. 
Um, you know, when you look at these these teams that are left and, you know, teams that we might be likely to play, Kirk Cousins threw six interceptions this year. Six. Aaron, right. Rod- Aaron Rodgers threw less than that. Like, turnovers are at a premium, and we are far more likely to turn the ball over than Minnesota, Green Bay, you know, that's that's a problem. And so to compensate for for not getting turnovers, we need to put them in really bad spots. And in order to do that, you have to draw holdings, you know, holding penalties. You've got to get you've got to get sacks. And so my end all be all for this, because of how bad it's been the last, you know, since, really since the Saints game, I guess. I mean, I guess you could start at the the Ravens game, but um is is that pass rush. It's just, it's on all of them. Somebody's got to start getting home. Definitely. And, you know, to your point, the question of whether or not it's them being a little bit slow, getting back to the quarterback or, or coverage breaking down. um, It is hard to answer that, but in either case, you know, we have three guys uh, coming back who are, who should help with us tremendously. So we know the stat uh, that was posted about D Ford, that the team had 28 sacks with him in the lineup. Uh, 28 sacks, or um, I, th- I think it was less than that. I, I forgot what the exact number was. 24, I believe it was, um, with and 24 without. But he played such a minute number of stat, uh, snaps that that's not necessarily as even as it sounds, um, you know, due to missing games and, of course, playing limited while he was while he was in there. So we're going to get him back, and that's going to be huge. But on top of that, we are getting Jaquan's guitar back. So anything that might have been going wrong uh, in the – defensive backfield uh should be you know fixed with him coming in uh he would return today to full practice no longer wearing the blue no contact jersey so he's a definite to come back uh d ford was limited in practice but you know they've been saying he's going to be back for the for the first playoff game and then today Quan alexander uh was officially cleared by the medical staff so now all it's going to take is the coaches to say to come in and you know he might have even helped uh, that that pass rush a bit as well when you think about what he did or what he does when it comes to covering tight ends and and that sort of thing. So if you think about the timeline, uh, D Ford, uh, he was the one who you know tried to come back for the the Saints game, but he had missed the Ravens game. Um, so that would help explain the pass rush in that one. Uh, he went out really quick in the Saints game. It helps with that, and of course Jaquanski Tart was missing that as well. So. I have a lot of hope that injuries were were what impacted that, and and my hope is tied more to the three coming back than the depth players that are gone for good uh, this year. Those being DJ Jones and Demontre Moore, um, of course, you know all the D linemen that ended up on injured reserve that that shot a uh, you know killed our depth. So I I don't know what that answer is. I don't know if it is just D Ford or if it's um, you know if the secondary played a role as well. But I, I feel comfortable knowing that. There should be a solution coming uh, if it's any of those three. Is is D Ford the most important of those three to get back, or is it Tart or is it Quan? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, at the beginning, at the beginning of the year, I would have said D Ford in an instant, and it would have been no question. Um, I I don't know that I would have ever thought it would have been Jaquaski Tart of the three, um, but the drop off is steep between him and Harris and Harris has been playing better, you know, to his credit, the last couple games, um, he had a good number of tackles in that, in that Seahawks game, but still, you know, Jablonski tarts, the, 
there was a clear difference uh, when he went out and what's happened to our, our defense. So I don't know which of the three is most important. Um, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's it's really it's really funny too because ordinarily Quan wouldn't even be in this conversation, but because of the opponent, I, I actually think he's important because they're gonna run so few three wide receiver sets. They just don't do it a lot. They they run it by far the least in the in the NFL. I mean, it's not even close. And 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 that NFL includes Baltimore people. <laughs> so that should give you some perspective on on just how often they're running, you know, uh halfback and a fullback or two tight ends. Uh, so he, we're going to have three, uh, three linebackers on the field a lot. And we both like Aziz Alshair. Uh, we think he's got a future. That's not right now. He is right. not very good. So the drop-off between Quan and he is huge as well. And I mean, so that's why I thought like, man, we really could use all three of them. I don't know who would be the most important. I, you know, I've, I've, basically just went on and on on a tirade about the pass rush. But then Tart is clearly, and and as you said, you know, to his credit, Harris has played much better the last two games, but there is a very clear line between those two players and and their talent level and what they do for this defense. So I love the question. I have no answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I couldn't answer it either. Uh, So what, what do you think? Do you think uh, Levi's can be a tough place? Tough place to play uh, in the playoffs. So it's our first ever playoff game at Levi's Stadium. Um, it was built just after the you know the Harbaugh years um, when we went to the playoffs, and you know we got to christen it in a in a, in a poor poor year. But uh, is it is it going to be a place that you know might get a little lively? What do you think? I, I think it'll be lively, but I don't think that. So I'm I'm of the opinion that it takes. A long time. It takes years to sort of cultiv- cultivate this home field advantage and, and difficult place to play um, type reputation. So I don't think that's going to to come. I think because I do think a part of that is mental. I think when you know you're going into the Superdome, when you know you're going to Seattle, I think mentally it puts something in your head that just makes it a little bit more daunting. And I don't think we have that right now. I do think it'll be lively. I just don't think that it's necessarily a home field advantage in the, in the manner that Seattle or Baltimore or New Orleans or, you know, um, of course, Green Bay have, uh, or even Minnesota who, who has a pretty good uh, home field advantage when you get in there. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a, a very lively place. I just don't know if it'll be a difficult place for them to play. Um, I, you know, I think it's, I think what's going to be difficult for them is six days coming off an overtime game, traveling from Minnesota to New Orleans to New Orleans to Minnesota to Minnesota to to California. Um, I think they're only going to get one real practice in, you know, uh, that's not good. So uh, I think that's far more detrimental to them than having to come into San Francisco and play. I, I think it'll be a great atmosphere. I just don't think it'll be a tough atmosphere yet. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, well, I think it was last week or or last episode rather that we had talked about uh, having pretty much the worst of the the home field advantages uh, amongst the NFC teams uh, in the playoffs, and it's it's definitely true. Uh, I, I agree that it does is something that uh, can be cultivated over time. Um, I just don't know that it'll ever happen at, at Levi's. It's um, you know historically, I don't think the the team's ever been an overly loud one, even when we were 
uh, you know, expected to be uh, a championship contender each and every every year. Um, but that said, it's it's great to to see the the red end zones, and uh, it'll be great to see it in Levi's, and hopefully we can we can christen our first playoff game with a with a big win over the Vikings. Um, so moving on to the next topic, uh, I have a question uh, about the starting lineups. So Mike Person's going to be back. Uh, he returned to practice today in a limited role as well. We're expecting him back. Um, he should go back into right guard with uh, Ben Garland staying at center. But, you know, we had talked to before if uh, Garland struggles. And, you know, thus far he he hasn't done too bad. Um, but if he struggles, do we put Brunskill back in at right guard and move Person to center? Um, do we tinker anywhere else with the starting lineup? For instance, in the, the end of the Seattle game, uh, we actually benched Witherspoon for the final drive. Um, he had 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 a pretty rough game uh, trying to go against the the Seattle receivers, um, so we put Emmanuel Mosley back there. Mosley was targeted a lot as well, but uh, allowed fewer catches and and had a had a big pass breakup on the final drive. Do we do we do anything with with either of those positions, or do we stay pat with what what's gotten us here? Man, so it's a really tough call, right? So Garland has been hot and cold with regards to his play. When he looks bad, he looks bad, but he's he's been okay at points. Uh, he's gotten a little bit better. My thing is, is I don't know that I would move person to center. I, I can't remember the last time he actually took any reps at center. Like, I, I feel like Brunskill, might, because he took reps during the preseason at center, might, might have a more recent history of working there and be, you know, familiar with the responsibilities. Also, I might lean towards not moving too many pieces around. Like, you know, if you substitute Brunskill in for Garland. Your other four pieces are in their natural positions that they've been playing for two years. And I know that Brunskill obviously has been playing fill in for, for person last couple weeks, but I don't know that I necessarily want to make that big of a change. Brunskill has just kind of been all over. So I don't mind sort of shipping him left and right and back and forth, but I'm hesitant to, especially with person to my knowledge, not having been at center in a quite a long while. I'm, I'm hesitant to make that sort of move. If I'm going to make that move, it's going to be just bumping Brunskill in for Garland. And okay. at this point, I don't think that you do that. I don't know. What do you think? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm with you. It's, <laughs> it's been a while. Although I thought Mike person had gotten snaps at center in the, um, you know, throughout training camp when, when we had a bunch of, uh, injuries before uh, Richburg came back. Yeah, I can't. I can't. That would make sense, uh, actually. Now that I think about it, but I know that Brunskill did, and Person does have you know multiple years of history of of taking snaps from center at some point. But I, I honestly, I can't even remember. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it, it's hard to say. I mean, right? I think you go in with the the five that you know are supposed to play, including Garland at center. And then you play it by ear. I mean, give make sure it's a short leash. You you don't have a uh, any more room for mistakes. It's the playoffs. So if something's going wrong, you, you make sure you're you're plugging that leak right away. Yeah. Um, and as for the the cornerback battle, uh, to me, uh, you have to put Witherspoon back in there. Um, yeah, he had one bad game. Um, he had a couple weeks where he struggled a little bit, but I'd like to see him bounce back. I think he's. He's due for that. Uh, he, he he seems to have, um, in a recent article I read, that that he kind of realized what his mistakes were and, and thinks he can he can bounce back. So I'm excited to see that. Um, plus, I don't 
I mean, Mosley's been great this year, absolutely, but I still think Witherspoon has played the best of the two, um, especially when you look at the the first few weeks. So to me, I'm I'm not making any changes, but you know, similar to to Mosley going in in the the last drive at the Seahawks game, I I wouldn't be afraid to make a move mid game either. So so this is interesting because I am really torn on the cornerback situation because a lot uh, I feel like a lot of Spoon's issues are mental. Yeah, right. he's he's slow. like yeah, he's just slow to process things sometimes. I mean, there are some plays where he doesn't have a chance, and I, I feel like it's unfair to to kind of criticize him. Like, I'm sorry, he's not sticking with like one of the catches he gave up was a slant to Tyler Lockett. Like, he's not he's not keeping up with that. That's not even fair to ask. I mean, he just kind of has to because that's his job. But that's not fair to ask him to be able to keep up with Tyler Lockett on a slant. Like, it's just unfair. So the thing that really makes me hesitant, because Spoon has a much higher upside, no doubt about that. His consistency has been bad. And that's going back to when he was a rookie. I mean, like, that's really hard for a cornerback to get. And I think a lot of his problems become mental. Is that I wonder, I wonder if Mosley's just not a better matchup for the receivers. And that's where I'm having difficulty in deciding what I want, like what to say there. So if this were like Mike Evans, I want spoon in there 100 times out of a hundred. Right. But it's not, it's Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, And, you know, D- Thielen's a bigger dude than, than people give him credit for. You know, he's like six, two, probably like two twenty, two thirty. 230. Diggs is a very thin, you know, slight guy. But Thielen doesn't use his frame that way. He doesn't use his body the way, say, like Marcus Colston or Anquan Bolden used to for bigger receivers, right? He uses his body in short area bursts, things like that. He's kind of like Cooper Cup, you know what I mean? Like in that regard, like he uses his feet to get open a lot as opposed to like just his entire body. And I just wonder if that's not, better for Mosley. And and that's the only problem I'm having cuz ordinarily I agree with you. I would go with Spoon. Last year it was I mean he gave up a touchdown to Stefan Diggs uh in the game against Minnesota, but it's kind of it's such a different team that you know what I mean? Like what does that even mean? Uh the the touchdown uh this week to Seattle was really bad. That was 100% on him. That was not a good look. But the talent's there, and he's definitely more talented than Mosley. But the matchup really intrigues me. I would love to get – I know that Jay is a fan of, of Witherspoon, but I also think Jay is um, very fair in his judgments uh, with regards to cornerbacks, and I, I think he, he spends a good, a good amount of time looking at them and, and watching them. And I would actually really – I'm going to have to ask him what his take is for the matchup for those receivers, because that's what's making me hesitant. That's fair. Um, I think it's, it's definitely fair to, to play your play the receiver and play, which uh cornerback goes better with them. I mean, you're right. Uh, Thielen's not a, not a big guy. And I, I imagine you would see a lot of him, but um, I, I still think you stick with the spoon and again, give him give him a short leash. St- short leash. I do agree with I'm, that. You having have trouble, uh, <laughs> having yeah. trouble here at the end of the night uh, with uh, 
Whereas, Whoever starts this game has to ha- has to be on a short leash because it's the playoffs and nobody's got time for your mental fragility at this point. Like be a big boy, you know, put on your big boy pants, go play and understand if you're bad, you're going to get replaced. I-, I do think that has to be the case, but uh, oh it, yeah. Just side note. Um, congrats to, since we're talking corners, congrats to Sherm getting that incentive money, getting absolutely. that all pro done. <laughs> and then and then going on a passive aggressive tear for everybody who who doubted him when he signed that contract so, i so can, love that so much <laughs> so so can i ask you a question this yeah. is this is not on the outline this is just a random question i thought about a couple days ago so sherman has played for two teams and i'm going to assume that he's going to retire with us right okay but those two teams are us the 49ers and seattle hated enemies and he was obnoxious with Seattle. Like he, people, 49ers fans loathed him, especially after the championship game, right? Oh, yeah. Like hated him. Public enemy number one. Absolutely. When he retires, is your attitude towards him good or bad? Like, do you do you like him or hate him a little bit more? And does a, a Super Bowl with us or with that, you know, or not having a Super Bowl, does that come into play? I'll answer the last question first. Yes. Okay. If we win the Super Bowl, he is he is forgiven of all of his previous misdeeds. Uh, number six will have happened and and all will be forgiven. If we don't win a Super Bowl, that's a much tougher, <laughs> <laughs> that is a much, much tougher question. Um, because, I, I mean, I've grown to to like him and appreciate him. Since he's been on the team, he's fighting for us now. Uh, you know, I love a lot of the stuff he does with uh, his interviews in, in terms of calling out players who aren't getting a lot of attention or, uh, you know, might be looked at in, in a negative light and he doesn't think they should be. Um, I love that he does that. He's, he's a great team player. You, you can tell that the, you know, the team responds to him well. So all of that is phenomenal while he's on the team. And if we win a Super Bowl, that's all I'll choose to remember. But if we don't, I might choose to remember 2013. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fair. I, I was so fascinated by that question. I was just like, man, that's really tough because by the end of this, he will have probably played e- e- around an equal amount of time, I would think. I don't think he's got many years left. So I imagine he will have played an equal amount of time with both teams. So uh, <laughs> I thought it was such a fascinating question. I was like, I, I, I have to ask because I need to know what the answer is. I don't have an answer. I, I, I don't. I love Sherm. Uh, I don't tend to get, you know, for players who aren't on our team, they can be irritate, you know, irritating, but I, I generally tend not to pay them any mind. But it was so hard with him because he makes sure it's out there and you can't just ignore it. So I think I will have more positive feelings towards Sherm in the end than negative ones. But man, it's it's definitely close. It, it's definitely, definitely close. That said, let's talk about our upcoming opponents, specifically the Vikings. Um, it's uh, another Vikings 49ers matchup in the playoffs. Forge, can you tell me the 49ers record all time when facing the Vikings in the playoffs? Quick trivia. Um, four and one. Damn. <laughs> You don't even need to get partial credit this week. That's right. We're four and one against the, oh the Vikings all time. 
I yeah. never expected this to happen. I was go- I I was making it a point to have like uh like you know like sound effects for like fireworks and and congratulatory type sound effects, and I never got anything because I never thought this day was gonna come. Okay, well let's play them right now. Uh, let's let's take a three second pause. Yay! There they are. <laughs> Impressive, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So that for for those who are who are listening and might be maybe slightly confused, uh, that was a post production fireworks sound effect that you just heard. Fortunately, nothing. It was just us being silent for a few seconds. <laughs> but that's that said, you're right. Uh, four and one. The the only loss was in that uh, weird 1988 uh, season. You know, it was the strike shortened season. We were the number one seed then too, uh, which isn't necessarily a you know good omen, but whatever. Uh, we won the other ones. And, you know, if perchance it turns out to be a bad omen, we can always, you know, take pleasure in knowing that the next two years we beat Minnesota in the playoffs each year and we won the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, maybe it's just good things come to those who wait kind of thing. <laughs> but that said, uh, what do you think? You know, we talked about the pass rush. What else do you think is a key for the 49ers to come out with a win? I legitimately think that's it. Like I am, it sounds cliche as hell, but so these teams are weirdly similar. Like we even, I mean, we're, we, we both even run similar offenses in terms of, you know, cause their OC is not Gary Kubiak, but he has a very big hand in the team. Right. So I think he's an offensive assistant, uh, assistant coach type type situation. And you can see his fingers all, all over the offense, right? And we know Gary Kubiak has a long history with the Shanahan's, and of course, we're coached by a Shanahan. So uh, these teams are very similar, and I legitimately, you know, even Jimmy Garoppolo, the comp that we hear thrown out all the time is he's Kirk Cousins. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's so much. There, there's a little bit of differences, you know, like their receivers in terms of name and talent, like might be a little bit better than ours. Um, same, you know, obviously we don't have a running back on the, on the level of, of Dalvin cook, but at the same time, our running game is just as effective. It's just, you know, it's just a three man rotation. So there are some slight variations with regards to, you know, the talent. They obviously also don't have a George Kittle. They do have a six foot six monster, but um, you know, he's a little bit older now. So I legitimately think whoever controls the line of scrimmage, whosoever line beats whoever, you know, is going to win this game. And that does sound cliche, I know, but it's not always the case. I mean, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, I'm pretty sure were both sacked seven times this weekend and they both won. So it doesn't necessarily always happen that if you, you know, if you win that pass rushing battle that you win the game. But I think it is. I think it solely comes down to that. We have to get to Cousins. They have to get to Garoppolo. They have an excellent pass rusher and and Daniel Harris. uh, (laughs) Daniel Hunter, sorry. Uh, Everson Griffin probably isn't what he was five years ago, but he's still very good. Um, Last year, he gave us problems. So we got to shut that down. And in truth, statistically, neither one of these offensive lines is very good in, in terms of pass blocking. We get away with a lot uh, because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, when he decides not to hold on to the ball and he just gets rid of it, we get a riddle, We get away with a lot there. 
the offensive line is not great pass rusher. They're okay. We actually, in terms of ESPN's pass block win rate, uh, we're in the bottom six, I think, bottom seven. Uh, and we were below uh, Minnesota. But okay. we, you know, he has, we have the great mitigator with, with Garoppolo's release, and I think that helps. So they can get to us. Defensively, we can get to anybody. Doesn't even matter. I really wish we had DJ Jones for this because of Garrett Bradbury really struggling um, up and down this year. Uh, but I think that's where it comes to. We we have to get to Cousins. They have to get to Garoppolo. If neither team is effective in that, I will actually take us because I think just overall, I I, I trust our offense a little bit more, as weird as that is to say. Right. Um, and if both teams get to the quarterbacks a ton, I think I'm still taking us. <laughs> uh, but... I, I think I I literally think this game just comes down to the, the offensive defensive lines. Everything else, like yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree that that's the the number one um you know, the number one key is is the line game play, especially in this game. I like that you mentioned that uh, it, it is cliche, but in not necessarily in all cases and um you know, I think in this case you're right that the, the line is gonna be the, the number one key. Um but I'm gonna add another one just so there's another talking point. Uh <laughs> I, I'm going to say that, you know, Quan Alexander returning and the defense getting back at Swagger uh, is key. So, you know, since he's left, that, that defense has been uh, notably a little bit less pepped, peppy. And, and you know, everybody talked about, uh, you know, everybody on the team that was interviewed talked about Quan being that guy who, who just got them pumped up all the time and who had them playing at, at such high energies. And I think, you know, that, uh, that can be the key to winning this game is getting that energy back on the defensive side of the game. And then, you know, letting the offense do what it's been doing, just, you know, march down the field and, and get, get some, get some points. What is, what would you say your biggest concern is uh, in this game? <laughs> I'm going to try and go. I mean, obviously I've, I've stated my stated my case with regards to the offensive and defensive line. So I'm not going to rehash that. Everybody now knows how I feel in, in regards to that. So I think what I'm going to go with is Dalvin Cook. I, I'm a little concerned there. He, he's he got some speed. He's got some power. He breaks tackles. You know, uh, he catches the ball out of the backfield. He's like a, I mean, he's a full service running back. And we haven't done particularly well against the run this year. And no. he's the kind of running back I think you do need to to really try and take out of the game. And so he's definitely a concern for me uh, on the, on the Minnesota offensive side of the ball on the Minnesota defensive side of the ball. My concern isn't really a huge one, but it's more of like an interest. And that is whether or not they can cover George Kittle with a linebacker. So uh, Kendricks was a first team all pro this year. He was amazing uh, and it was fully deserved. But there's a there's a matchup advantage for us if you try and cover him with a linebacker and can't, or if you have to pull a safety or a cornerback and put them on him, because then it creates matchup problems most likely in the running game, right? So 
if they can't cover him with a linebacker advantage us, if they have to move somebody else in there, if they have to bracket him in some way, like let's say they take Anthony Barr and try to bracket coverage on him. I mean, that's an advantage for us. They're, they're using two defenders yeah. on a single guy. So I'm really curious to see if they can do that last year. George Kittle wasn't George Kittle last year. You know, this was honestly, the Minnesota game was maybe a little bit of his hello game because he would have had a monster game if he had caught the, 80-yard touchdown pass. Right. But he frequently got open, you know, and it's it's the same defense. I mean, it's not the same exact defense, but in the case of, you know, coverages and who's going to be responsible for him, it's Kendricks. You know, Barr was there last year. Barr was this year. It, it should be the same guys. And he had, you know, five receptions, 90 yards, and nine targets last year. And like I said, that should have been a much bigger game. So even though they were phenomenal against the tight ends this year, um, they were number one in DVOA against tight ends this year. They weren't completely shut down. Like the a lot of the good tight ends still had their day. Travis Kelsey had like seven for 70, you know, which is fine for a tight end. I If, if Kittle gets seven for 70, I'm happy with that. Definitely. Uh Ertz didn't have a great game, but when you add Ertz and Goddard together, they were like 10 for 100, something along those lines. So uh, so they, they while they did have a lot of success, they, you know, they, they also didn't shut down everybody. And Kittle's absolutely in that group that they're going to have to work on. So I'm really, I'm not concerned about it. It would suck if, you know, Kendricks can cover him or Barr can cover him without help and be successful at it. Uh but I'm really interested to see how that matchup plays out. It, it, it will definitely be an interesting matchup. You you hit the number one concern I have right on the head, uh, and that's Delvin Cook. Um, you know, while the, the team hasn't really allowed a lot of running backs to, to really go off, other than, you know, if it was off of a couple big plays, like in, in the case of Christian McCaffrey, um, we also haven't faced a, a back that's that's quite like Cook. Um, and if he's healthy, that, that definitely terrifies, terrifies me because – you know, the Vikings, one, are going to want to run with him a lot. And two, you're right. You know, we've we talked about it before, probably on uh, the very first podcast, if I think we reviewed the defense first, uh, that the wide nine, the the big question was going to be, how is the, the run defense going to happen? And, you know, the, the whole philosophy was stop the run on the way to the quarterback. Uh, we're going to get to the quarterback a lot more, but we might have a, a weaker run defense because of it. And, you know, that all came to fruition. That's that's 100% what happened this season. So Delvin Cook scares the crap out of me, um, especially because you know he had a he had a pretty good game going last week in New Orleans in the first half. Uh, that first half offense shows up against us. It's it could be a very 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 long day. So that's my number one concern. It does kind of go uh, right in line with the offensive line and defensive line play. So kind of another reason to to pay attention to them. What's uh, what's your prediction? What do you, what do you think happens? I'm, I'm really torn here because so I had, I had mentioned in the thread like, oh, yeah, we know that I'm just going to pick the the Vikings. But I take the power that I hold seriously, right? So generally when I've picked against us this year, um, we've came out and just laid a hammer. So games, <laughs> notable games I've selected against us were uh, Cleveland, I'm pretty sure, Carolina, and Green Bay. So, yeah. so if people are curious, this is why this is kind of a running joke. The problem is the more I think about this, 
it, the more I really dislike Minnesota's turnaround time, I, I hate the fact, I mean, I, I love it for us. I hate the fact for them that they are on a short week turning around, doing all that flying. I think that's really bad, especially coming off an overtime game. So at first I was just going to pick us because of the reverse jinx thing, but I, I, I try to do this like wholeheartedly. Like when I pick somebody to beat us, I legitimately think that they're going to beat us. And I've been kicking this around all week. And I think I'm going to take us. I would take Minnesota with the points. Uh, I think it'll be a close game. But yeah, I I think it's us. I I think people are sleeping on how Minnesota's defense is getting a lot of love after what they did to to New Orleans. And it's absolutely 100% deserved. But it's also a little flavor of the weakish because I don't know if people realize how good our offense is. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like when, when people in general just watch the 49ers, it happened to be in games that maybe the offense didn't necessarily look great or need to look great. So you had like the Arizona Thursday night game, right? Which Jimmy looked right. great after a time, but it was sort of a weird game. You had the Seattle game. You know, that the thing that people probably remember from, from Cleveland was the rushing attack. You know, we threw for less than 200 yards. So we had all these games where like the passing offense – just look, you know, either bad or, or marginal or, and I don't think people understand how good it is, man, you know? And then the new Orleans game was hidden on a one o'clock Sunday schedule. Right. You know? So people didn't, not a lot of people saw that. I, I think people don't understand how good our offense is. I don't think they understand how it can beat you in multiple ways. And that's the biggest thing that I think, people need to understand about this 49ers team is that we beat, we beat somebody in every way possible this year. The offense shut down as a whole. Fine. We'll win the game. We did that with Tampa. You know, if, if the passing game can't go, we'll win it with the running game and defense. If the running game can't go, Jimmy Garoppolo will win us a game. If the defense sucks, Jimmy Garoppolo and the offense will pick up the slack. We've literally won every single way we could possibly win. Absolutely. And I, I I think people aren't acknowledging that. I think I haven't been acknowledging that as much as I should. Uh, so I'm going to pick us. I, I do think it'll be close. I would take Minnesota with the points, but give me the 49ers. Uh, I also probably take the under. I'm going to say something like uh, 24 to 20. Sounds about right. Sounds good. Okay. I'm going to take us as well. I, I'll say 31 to 24. That's that's my score. Um, I thought about twenty four twenty. It sounded it sounded like a good score. Uh, one get one field goal in there, but I decided to give us an extra touchdown. Uh, you know, I think as you pointed out, the the short week. Um, you know, after just a tough tough game against New Orleans, then you know all of that travel time in there, and then us being rested, uh, getting a lot of key players back. Um, you know, getting that swagger back. I, I think all of those things are just going to make it really difficult for Minnesota to win. Um, they're a great team. I, you know, I think they're they're better than a, just the the six seed looks. Uh, the NFC was so good this year, um, but I still I still have us. I still think we're going all the way, and uh, that starts with with beating Minnesota thirty one to twenty four. Sounds so. good. You know, it, it's it's kind of cool though. If we win this game, I, I mentioned earlier, we will have beaten like every real nfc contender 
Yeah. Every, everyone that won 11, 12, 13 games, we beat them all. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's awesome. That is very awesome. And, and I'm glad we have the opportunity to do it. Uh, so long as that happens, I'll, I'll revisit whether or not I'm glad in uh, a week from now. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so I, I know that you, uh, we had asked this really touch. So I'll, I'll ask you briefly. The Vikings win against New Orleans. Was that good or bad to you? I don't know. I didn't want to play the Vikings, uh, <laughs> especially the Vikings coming off of a New Orleans win. I still think it's good. Um, I, I think that, you know, we would have an easier chance with the Vikings than, than going through another shootout with Drew Brees. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say they did us a favor. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think as good as Minnesota is, I think, I, I thought their ceiling is not as high as New Orleans. When New Orleans is steamrolling people, I mean, it's it's just so impossible to get out from under it sometimes. Uh, and that's not a slight on the Vikings. I, I do think they have a very high ceiling, and I think they're in that same tier as everybody. I just think it's slightly, slightly lower. And uh, secondarily, you know, my thought was this entire time was that we were going to lose to Seattle in the second round because Seattle still scares the crap out of me. And, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins is, is very much underrated. And I think he gets a lot of flack that he doesn't deserve, but Russell Wilson's a special player and I don't like playing special players. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just, uh, and, and you know, and it's a divisional matchup third time wonky things happen. Uh, so I still think I would have preferred to play Minnesota over Seattle in the second round. Uh, so all told, I, I, I definitely think they did us a favor just you know and it's not meant to be a slight to minnesota at all agreed uh it's not a slight to minnesota but uh not playing new orleans is a bonus and not having to play seattle in the second round is is also a bonus hopefully the the packers can do us a favor as well so that said that about wraps up this episode of 49ers future uh we want to thank you once again for making it all the way to the end of uh, another episode as always make sure to share this with all your friends who might be 49ers fans uh, make sure to like the the social media uh, pages. Make sure to follow us. Um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're currently listening. Uh, Forge, any last words before we sign off? No, I'm super excited about this. I get to watch. Uh, I get to watch the 49ers and Vikings, and then uh, I, you know, I get to to go out and and revel in the victory afterward at a Vegas Golden Knights game. So. <laughs> well, that, that sounds lovely. Yes. I, I hope you enjoy both games that day. And, you know, the one will be result-based for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's it. Thank you all once again. We really appreciate it. You all take care, and we'll, we'll hear, see you again next week. Thanks, guys. Go Niners. Go Niners. Go Niners.